Hi, listeners. You can now listen to this community podcast production ad-free on Apple Podcasts and access the podcast one week early and get exclusive bonus content. Just hit the subscribe button now on Apple Podcasts. Or if you want access to all of the above, plus video versions of the podcast, head to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. I'm Sarah Ferris, true crime podcaster. And I'm Catherine Schweit, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. And you're listening to Stop the Killing. Welcome to today's episode. This episode is a continuation from our last one. We had a conversation with the remarkable Emily Romrell, a passionate mother who took the initiative and has absolutely pulled one out of the hat for all of us, really. She created a paint-by-numbers of how to get an anonymous reporting system into your school district. So if you haven't listened to that episode, go back check it out. What she's managed to achieve is honestly no easy feat. It's definitely worth a listen. In this episode, we dive back into that conversation with Emily. With the anonymous reporting system in place in her school, we find out what's next for Emily. And surprise, surprise, she's not finished making a difference yet. I haven't spent a lot of time on bullying resources. So that's something I definitely have room to learn. And I'm excited about that. My husband was just participating in a pediatric conference over the weekend and I could kind of overhear some, and he was listening to a lecture on bullying and they were talking about the importance of upstanders. Is that what they're called? Upstanders. Yeah, that's right. Upstanders. Yeah. Uh And kind of just the, the, if you can create a culture where people feel empowered and feel like that's the right thing to do and uh, that they'll be supported as they do that, it has been proven helpful to, you know, decrease bullying. So I'm sure there's great programs out there. I'll dive into those next and see what resources are out there and and see what we can bring to our district. There are great programs out there and tremendous number of resources with regard to bullying. One of the things that you were talking about that I wanted to mention is we had a vice principal on, on a recent podcast who astonishingly was part of an action that stopped what could have been a very bad, you know, disaster in her school, somebody who had access to weapons and was expressing it very clearly and had in fact a plan to shoot the school up and a fascinating podcast interview with her. But one of the reasons I bring it up is what struck me about her message to us was she said, this occurred and we managed to get the help this person needed. There's no punitive language in what she wrote. He had the intent to do it. He had the means to do it with the weapons. 
And because of the information that we had from your podcast, we were able to get him the help that he needed. Very proactive. Very, our job is to take care of people in the community. Just what you were saying before about how when you tell, it's so that you can get help to somebody. And that's so important in the messaging. And I think in bullying, it's the same way. Because, you know, in law enforcement, we find often that somebody may be bullied but when someone is bullied, they may become a bully. And so it's a very uh, horrible cycle. So bullying is a tough nut to crack, too. Yeah. I remember one thing I overheard on this conference was that bullying used to be something that just happened at school, and now it follows kids home. And so I think oh, so true. You know, sometimes older generations might, or whoever might be like, I was bullied as a kid. It just happens. Yeah. And we hear the that. fact is we're dealing with a different situation right now. And so, you know, even if we're going to look at the past and say that was fine, which I personally am just not comfortable with bullying, but, but it's a different, it's a different game now. They can't escape it. And I think that that's something we need to keep in mind. You know, what's interesting is my school district was open to creating what we call a parental security advisory committee. Wow. Yeah. And so we're on this committee. We meet once a month and it's parents who have special interests or experience. And we, the parents decide the agenda and then we shoot it over to the school a couple of days before. We have a contact at the school that if we have any questions, we can ask her, you know, how do we handle this kind of emergency preparedness plan or whatever? But that committee is made up of some really powerhouse people. We have a pediatric trauma therapist, both he and his wife are in that field. We have someone who specializes in social media safety. And so that's another thing, you know, we're considering. But anyway, I think that that was incredibly generous of our school district to agree to do, our superintendent. I guess they had tried to get something like this set up previously and it had failed. And what one person at the school district kind of told us is that, well, we were kind of getting vibes that you just wanted to tell us how to do our job. <laughs> I'm I'm putting my own words in her mouth, but that was kind of her messaging. So I think an important aspect of this committee is that we're very respectful of them. And we always try to keep in mind that they have the full picture and we do not. So while we can look at resources available to us and learn about what other districts are doing and where there have been successes, and then we can make suggestions, we kind of trust them to ultimately make the best decision for the school district. No, I love that for two reasons. One is I love that you said we don't have the whole picture because I think that's so true. And in law enforcement, sometimes there are citizen groups, you know, that are formed to try to make the community safer and things like that. And there's reticence on the part of law enforcement to say, yeah, but you don't know what we're dealing with. You know, sometimes law enforcement doesn't want the citizen group to be saying, you need to do this or you need to do that. Because and the law enforcement is saying, hey, look, you know, you're not on the ground like we are every day. You're, you're coming to a meeting once a month. I think that's a great recognition on, on the part of you and your other members and probably why the district is willing and encouraged it or allows it. And not that you can't meet separately on your own, right? But it's much better to do it within the district kind of acceptance and, and meet and talk, you know, with their people. And also, I love that you did this because out of like whole cloth, I say when I'm speaking all the time, if you're so interested in what's going on, why don't you create a parent group, people who are going to help 
the school district with the burdens they already have, help them by creating a parent group that does the research and pulls together things and makes suggestions and looks at the emergency operations plan and rewrites it for them, be the one doing the the gerbil work for them. And I, I say that all the time. I've never met anybody who's done it. So bless you. <laughs> well, no, I, I mean, Kate, I hear you say that. If I want you to take one thing away from this time, it's that when you say to your listeners, like, hey, do something, get involved. I'm over there writing down and then I do something and get involved. So you are having a real impact. And I hope you feel that she does that in between seasoning her chicken hot pot. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. I was going to say one thing about what you were saying, Kate, is just about going back to that idea of keeping in mind that we don't have the whole piece. I think that Mm -hmm. has been a message that I've been pretty vocal about with my parent counterparts. So I guess my message would just be to anyone listening who is considering doing something similar. It's okay to kind of remind fellow parents that you don't have the whole picture, that these are public servants that have full-time jobs besides whatever we're trying to add. And so always asking, what am I doing to help this problem? Not what do I wish they would do? If you have something you wish they would do, then what are you doing to help them do that? And I think those are some really important, like self-focused questions that can lead to you moving things forward. And also in our first meeting with our district, this committee, like we told, I told them, I said, you know, we promise that we will do our best to remember that we don't have the whole picture and to trust your decision making. And we're grateful for you. And the work you do. And so I think that laid a good foundation where then they understand we respect them. And so they can comfortably hear us out and not feel threatened or attacked, which frankly, they get a lot. (laughs) They get a lot of that. It's early in your season. Have you had a report, like a monthly report yet that tells you how you're doing Um, with your new anonymous reporting system? No, my superintendent excitedly told me he does get reports that, you know, that the threat assessment team is receiving reports. But from what I can tell, it hasn't been anything too serious yet. But I have had opportunity where I was speaking with a friend and her daughter's in uh, high school and her daughter had a situation, just a really hard, toxic environment where they felt like they had tried to get it addressed and it didn't go the way it should have been handled. And this is the ironic part. I'm embarrassed to confess this, but I did not think of the anonymous reporting system. I actually came home and told my husband about the situation. This is so crazy. This is happening. And he's like, anonymous reporting system. You literally just worked to get this in the school. And I was like, oh my gosh. And so I shot it off to my friend. She hadn't even heard of it. And I was like, you should totally report. It's kind of a situation where there's repetitive harmful interactions. I said, you should report it every single time it happens and you can be anonymous, but just, if you're just saying, Hey, this person did this. And I don't think that's right. This person said this and they see the pattern documented, then maybe something will be done. And it's a way to kind of get the attention of people who should probably know about the situation. So sometimes it can get someone on their, on their radar, right? I mean, that's, that's the value of it. So that's fantastic. And, and I did want to touch you said your superintendent is getting the reports 
you're not getting the reports. Right. Right. I'm, and that's okay. Tell our listeners why that's okay. You're not getting the reports because it seems like you're invested in this, but you're not getting the reports. Why is that okay? Exactly. I mean, that's a hard part of the process is you have to trust that you can educate people and that if they're reasonable people, which most people on earth are reasonable people, I like to believe it's not my place so that he will take this anonymous reporting system and run with it. And now I'm not getting tips and I'm not seeing what's being done, but I will say on our list of things to talk about as a committee is to ask more questions about the makeup of our threat assessment teams and how often they're trained and and how they're trained, as well as do they have a connection to law enforcement? So that's another thing we'll be looking at. So it is unnerving to me to not be getting the tip. I don't know. Unnerving is not the right word, but you know, you you lay all this groundwork to get a system in place, and then you have to just be hands off and trust in the people who have gone into this field. So there is a section in my book. If you haven't read it, I could pull it for you. But I spend time with a friend of mine, Kenji Akuma, who you might know the name of. He's one of the world's experts in anonymous reporting systems. So I'll connect you up. And Kenji taught me, you know, the more tips that come in, the more your system is working. If the system doesn't get a lot of tips, it's not really working yet. You're not publicizing it enough. You're not giving enough hugs, whatever the right pieces are. But an annual report would help your district to gauge their successes through the years. So you can maybe start with that right from the very first year and also encourage us people that the system is working because the uh, threat assessment team can provide some of that information, you know, in an anonymized uh, kind of format that would be helpful, you know. Well, this is me putting down my wooden spoon and writing down what I need to look into next. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Just hearing like a, a nugget of amazing information. So this is a great uh, idea. I'm totally taking that back to my district. <laughs> lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Have you ever felt that pang of disappointment when you couldn't add a ticket to your collection because it was digital? Or maybe you just lost it. Well, Stubforge.com is here to change that. Imagine this, tickets that not only look but feel like the real deal. Because each ticket from Stubforge is printed on the same quality stock that Ticketmaster uses and printed with genuine ticket printers. It's like holding a piece of the concert, the game or the show right in your hands. But Stubforge isn't just about replacing tickets. With the easy-to-use interactive designer, you can create custom tickets for anything, from concerts to sports games, pregnancy announcements or parties. Why not make your invitations stand out with tickets that are as unique as your event? And if you're trying to complete a back catalogue of missing tickets, Stubforge offers bulk discounts to make it both easy and affordable. With Stubforge, you can once more give your loved ones physical tickets and see their eyes light up instantly at the best gift you can give. So whether you're looking to reignite your ticket collection, craft the perfect gift or send the coolest invites, head over to stubforge.com. Start creating today and see how Stubforge makes every ticket 
a story worth saving. Visit stubforge.com and start making tickets today. You know, I get asked this question all the time, uh, but I wonder if you could tell our listeners, what are those signs that people should be looking for in report? When people ask you, what am I supposed to watch for okay. and report? Yes, I've created a report card that I that I use when I assess. Systems. Oh, she has amazing. And I I am work. I will get that up on my website too, so people can just download it, print it out, and assess their own um, system. But I look for is it well known by the community. So when someone asks me to look at their anonymous reporting system, I say, "Sure, what do you know about your system?" And a lot of times, I hear nothing. Sometimes I'll hear, oh yeah, I know, I know we have one or, you know, so does the community know about it? Ideally too, the community would feel like, oh yeah, the system, because they just are so used to it that they hear it, they see it. They're like, oh yeah, that, you know, that's how you want them to feel about it. And then I look for, is it easy to find? So if you go to their website, both district and school websites, because I had a friend point out to me, her daughter's on the school website all the time looking at some sort of schedule, like a sports schedule, but the system's not mentioned on our school websites. It's only on our district mm-hmm. website. Mm-hmm. Daughter doesn't go to the and district I, website. And I recall the link you sent us, yours is right there on the front page. That's that's how it should be. You should go to the website and it should be like, like in your face. Are you know, are you concerned? So I like to see that. Of course it needs to have the anonymous factor. And then I also look to see, is it in a format that's easily accessible? So what we talked about earlier, lots of methods to report a tip, as well as team-friendly methods to report a tip. And the hug factor. The hug factor. Yes, that's on there as well. Like I have that listed as a a tone of there to help, but maybe I should switch that over to hug factor because I do think that's something that people can understand. When people say they don't w- know what to report, what what do you tell them to report? I would say anything that makes you feel uneasy. Because again, we're going back to the FBI report of 4.7 warning signs that were observable by someone else and caused more than a minimum amount of concern. So I'd say anytime you're going, huh, that is uncomfortable to me, report it. And I would also say, you know, your job is just to report what you see and the people who are receiving it, we're going to trust that they're well-trained. It's always better to give them more information than less. And I mean, going to the puzzle analogy that is so effective, it could be that you're giving them a puzzle piece. Maybe it doesn't belong to the puzzle that they're putting together. So they they can set it aside. That's easy. But what if it is a piece that they're searching and searching for and can't find, you know? And so yeah. that's what I tell people. And just like two quick things to tell you guys that I think you might be interested in. This is specific to my school, and now it's kind of growing up into the district. But luckily, I have a principal who's very approachable as well. And I reached out to her, again, from your podcast. I learned about after-action reviews and studied those. And so I reached out to her and I asked, do we do an after-action review after drilling? And she said, what's that? And I said, Oh, it's, you know, we we went and sat down and talked for a minute. I had, again, this is a resource we can put on my website, so it's easy for people to find, but it kind of explained what they are and how to handle one. And the four questions, you know, what was supposed to happen? What did happen? What went well? What didn't go well? 
And I just explained it to her. She said, this sounds like a great idea. So then I reached out to our PTA, which I'm a part of. And I said, hey, can we provide snacks for our teachers? Because they're going to have their first after action review, which means we're asking them to take something new on. We're adding to their plate. Can we help carry the burden by just, let's just feed them. They oh, I love that. So we set up a nice little yogurt bar for them. Oh. and. They had this after action review and my principal called me after to tell me that in the after action review, they realized it was a relocation drill that they did. And from all their heads getting together and talking about it, they realized that the location they evacuated to would be on lockdown if they had an evacuation. And so their relocation location is out of commission. Wow. This is a huge thing. We caught, and now we're able to come up with a new plan. But it's just a way that you can drill smarter, not harder. Yeah. You don't have to drill every couple of weeks. Just make your drills really effective when you do them. So I feel like that's what, another way that parents can advocate. And again, now I'm trying to work with the district in making sure that all our schools are not only having after-action reviews, but that they've been adequately taught the purpose of these so that they can have that genuine buy-in and make them effective because mandating it is just, it's just one aspect. Really what we need is to help people understand the value that they can bring. And then the other thing I did that was interesting is I, I reached out to her about our lockdown drills. She sends home a letter before every lockdown drill telling families it's going to happen, which is great practice. And we put our heads together on that and just I helped her add some things that I think were really important. So we added things like asking families if their kid has been through anything traumatic that might make the drill more scary for them so that we can be aware of any existing trauma going into the drill. I also just kind of helped her put words to how the drill is going to be conducted so that families, they're no longer getting a letter that says we're having a drill on Tuesday. Now the letter says we're having a drill on Tuesday and this is how the drill is going to work. It's going to start here. It's going to end here. Oh, by the way, this came from your podcast. Remember in the Parkland episode, they had had a drill earlier in the day and it added confusion. Yes. Yes. High school now says, and I'm working on getting this district wide. We now say we are done drilling for the whole day. We will do no more drills today. Chills, Emily. Chills down it's my spine. It's an easy change, but it it's so important. So the letter now outlines, you know, how the drill goes. And then it asks parents, it says, we need your help reinforcing a few messages. So this is an elementary school. And so we ask them for help reinforcing the message that listening to teachers is not just respectful and good student behavior. It's a part of safety. And then we also had some language about uh, your child's physical safety is the most important thing to us. And so we expect them to keep rules on a regular basis. But in the case of an emergency, we do not expect them to follow rules. We want them to prioritize their safety. And along that note, during a drill or an emergency, we might ask them to do things that feel odd to them, maybe running in the hallway, maybe moving from one location to another in an unorganized fashion. But it's all because their physical safety is the most important thing to us. And please tell your kids 
we've told them that. Please tell your kids that their physical safety is the most important thing. And then she added some language about, and if we have an emergency families, please don't rush down to the school and, you know, instead meet us at our location. So anyway, that's another thing I plan to put up on my website so other parents can use it if it helps them. But I think just looking at your school and and helping them navigate these things, it can go a long way. That's brilliant. But the communication, I always say the parents are the missing link. Even when I first uh, was working with Colorado, you know, Columbine and everything, when I interviewed kids about training, the kids knew what the training was. Colorado's so cool in terms of that. But when I interviewed the parents who are with these third and fourth graders and second graders, when I observed their training, the parents said, yeah, I didn't really know my kids were learning those things. And I took away from that, that that's the gap, that the parents don't have that connection. Mm-hmm. So oh, that's absolutely. fantastic what you're doing. Yeah. Well, the kids come home and you're just like, how was your lockdown drill? Good. And then you're left as the parent being like, what more can I ask? Like, how do I get this information out of my five-year-old? And (laughs) so if the school gives you the information, so then you can say, oh, so did you guys, you know, what, where were you when it happened? And then did you go to this area? Like your paper says you would. And did your teacher talk to you about this? Like you're kind of armed with more things to start the discussion. I bet that allays some of the fears of parents that are a little bit apprehensive about lockdown drills as well, because you get it filtered through a five-year-old's mouth and what might come out sounds quite terrifying compared to the reality of what it is. I think it's good too, because uh, you know, oftentimes I hear, oh, you can't train kids, you shouldn't train kids, it shouldn't be locked down. And obviously you listen to the podcast, you know, I'm a, a big advocate for run, hide, fight. Um, and people say, well, you can't teach kids to run, hide, fight. Yeah, that's the concept. We get that, right? But part of a drill is that you might have a child running down a hallway or running out the back door just to see you. I mean, what if there was an explosion at the school or a fire, right? I mean, you might have a situation where you want the kid to run and break the rules of running in the hallway or running someplace. But it's more important when it comes to elementary schools to teach children that you have to pay attention to the rules. I mean, you're teaching children more than anything else to be listeners, to be quiet, to pay attention, to follow the rules that they're told at that moment. That's what active shooter training is for a second grader. It, that's what active shooter training is for a five-year-old. It's just training them to be good listeners and maybe break some rules because the teacher said it's okay at that moment. And it's great to have the parents notified of that and reinforcement. That's great language, I think, to say, we know that you're going to do some things you might not do. And when they talk about it, ask them about it. What was it like to run down the hallway at school? Because you never get to do that. That's against the rules. Yeah, I've run into that. You know, there's some people that feel very strongly against lockdown drills. There's kind of a movement here. I'm sure you've heard about it, Kate, like just so many people pulling out of lockdown drills. And what I often tell people is, you know what is just as traumatizing as a lockdown drill is growing up in a country with a gun violence problem. It's growing into awareness of the fact that you were raised in a country with a gun violence problem. It's being an adult in a country with a gun violence problem. And really lockdown drills, they are a part of safety. And Kate, your life work has proven that, you know, seeing the the benefit to run, hide, fight. But even if we take that out of it, if we take out that it saves lives and that it's based in real lived experiences, we're still left with 
a drill that is our opportunity as parents to enter that world with our kids. And if you look up what any pediatric expert says about how to handle tough topics with kids, they say, don't avoid the conversation. Even though you want to, even though it's uncomfortable, dive into this conversation with them so that they learn to trust you. And really lockdown drills can be that catalyst. Um, We just have to take advantage. I agree with that. I mean, you well said in this uh, book that I pushed out this summer, how to talk about guns with anyone. One of the first chapters is talking to your kids. Here's what I want to tell a parent is your child is exposed to it and it's going to have conversations about it. Don't you want to be the one who guides those conversations? Do you want your child as a 12 year old to learn everything they can about guns and gun safety from their 11-year-old friend on the school bus? You know, the answer is no. You want to be the one to introduce in the language you're comfortable with scary topics. And you probably are very fine about doing that stranger danger with them and very fine about doing that about fires in the house or fires in the building. But are you doing as much as you can as a parent if you are ignoring an area that is clearly, you know, an issue here in the States. Yeah. A lot of times I hear the argument, and you've probably heard this too, that there is no evidence or research to lockdown drills, but there is evidence in support of the trauma that lockdown drills cause, which I argue that a couple ways. Of course, there's no evidence for lockdown drills because how would we study that ethically? We would take Two groups of people train one on CPR, one on run, hide, fight, send them loose in a shopping center and have an actor carry out an attack. That's not ethical. <laughs> we can't ever have that research. So the support for lockdown drills, while it might not be a peer-reviewed study, um, it is in lived experience. Right. Nine kids who escaped from yeah. Sandy Hook who are alive because they had run, hide, fight training. Yeah. That's nine lives. 20 kids who jumped out of windows at Norris Hall because they were trained at Virginia Tech. And there's lots of examples of people who ran and survived to tell the tale. Yeah. So, I mean, that happens every day when a shooting goes off. People run. They just do. And they're alive today to tell the tale. I think to the aspect of the uh, emotional anxiety that they cause, In talking to my community and just different people, it seems like lockdown drills get the most scary later elementary junior high area, which I had a friend who's a pediatrician recently explaining to me some of the brain development things that happen around that time, around 11 years old. But certainly one aspect of it is that they're growing into realization of our reality. And I just feel like if we start from a, a young age, not that we have to tell them all the details or what's happening, but if we just start with these drills and explaining that in an age-appropriate way, this this is something we're aware of, can it lessen the shock factor later on? So there's definitely value in drills. It's multifaceted. It's interesting you hear the pushback, though. I mean, I think there's always going to be that pushback, uh, but I do think that parents who don't want their kids in drills, I think that it's a little short-sighted when it comes to realizing that the kids' classmates are in the drills and on the playground, they're talking about the drill they went through. So they're just talking to their classmates about it instead of hearing what the teacher said in the trauma-informed language, hearing what the parents might say in a trauma-informed language. 
Yes. You know what else is interesting? I was talking to my school counselor about drills and she had an experience where they had a real evacuation, not a drill, but an evacuation. And because of the drills, she knew specifically one boy who was not going to respond well. And she said she went straight for him and carried him on the evacuation. And I think people don't think about that, that sometimes the drill is for the adults to identify susceptibilities and people that they need to be aware of in the case of a real emergency. Yeah, that's a great point because a child who hasn't gone through the drills, they're not going to know what to do. But also a child who isn't allowed to participate because the parents are concerned about their particular needs, it doesn't allow the school to incorporate their needs into the response plan. It doesn't allow the schools to be aware that there may be a home situation that is going to send a child into a much more reactive response, just like hearing the sound of a gunshot. If a family member, for instance, had committed suicide and that child knew that, or it had happened in front of the child or near the home, and so they say, oh, I don't want my child to be exposed to anything, that's equally important that the school know because if something happened or if the child had been in a fire and then there's a fire, the child may react in a way that none of the other children would react and it's helpful for the school. So Mm -hmm. the more information that they have, uh, the better they're able to get your child to safety. Isn't that also the brilliance of that after action reporting? Because that's the moment that people can actually go, okay, well, who was missing from that drill? And how, if that person is then inserted into that classroom and experience, how many hands would we have had to deal with that extra person that hasn't had that training? So you can really see the value of the after action there as well. Um, good point. I hadn't ask that question in the after action. I did suggest that my school ask a fifth question in their after action review because it's typically those four questions. And the fifth question I had them ask, I said, just if the conversation doesn't naturally go there, but I think there's value in asking who in this room of teachers and administrators has unique challenges with drills or emergency response and how can we help them? And it's kind of an opportunity for them to brainstorm, help just offer additional support to teachers with kids with special needs. You know, do classrooms need to be moved around or, you know, it's just an opportunity for the school to put their heads together and try to help these teachers who have extra challenges on top of the already existing challenge of responding to an emergency. I love that. You forget too, Catherine, you might not remember this, but when we first started, my very first I, well, one of my very first questions, number one was, why don't you get rid of the bloody guns? And number two was I, as a parent, was really kind of like, I don't feel comfortable with the active shooter training drills for my kids in schools. By the end of the first episode, which was on Sandy Hook, I was like, what the heck was I thinking? You know, that totally turned around when I'd had that framework put in front of me and understood how important it was and you know as a parent that fear factor was taken away from me by just understanding what it was so I would really encourage if you are still on the fence and listening to this maybe go back and listen to that episode Sandy Hook and and uh, take that journey with me I like that Emily you've touched on a couple of times your website as a place that's got resources on it or perhaps going to have resources on it soon. 
which I think is going to be incredible for people to to tap into. I know our listeners are always looking for that kind of information. So where can people find you? So it's www.romrellwrites.com. So it's my author website, just my last name, R-O-M-R-E-L-L, writes, W-R-I-T-E-S. Well, we definitely put links to that in the show notes. And you did say your author website because I know that you're working on something. Can you give us a little bit of an insider scoop on what you're working on? Because it is quite exciting. Yes. So this is a children's book. The whole goal of it is to empower parents to jump into the lockdown conversation alongside their kids. And it was important to me as a parent to have something that was factual, but age appropriate. And that can be challenging, but I'm really proud of how it ended up. And Kate helped me. Kate, I'm so grateful that you responded when I emailed you, but she looked at my manuscript and tweaked it in ways that were you know, more appropriate with the necessary response. So I'm super thankful for that. It's such a sad book to have written. And sometimes I'm really sad that my name is on it. And I just struggle with feeling proud of this project. On the one hand, I'm proud of the work and the challenges I feel like we overcame and the end result. But on the other hand, I really struggle with the fact that it exists, the fact that I wrote it. So for me, I was kind of fizzling out in momentum on it. I was not excited. I did not want to publish it. And what kind of brought it back to life for me was saying, you know what? I am not going to profit from this. I don't want to profit from this book. Let's use any profits that it makes to help make this book extinct. We're going to diminish demand for the book. So all the profits I... I will donate. And I I did reach out to Sandy Hook Promise a couple times to be like, will you take my money? But they didn't reach back to me. And then I thought, well, maybe I should see if I make any money first and then reach out to them saying, I have the dollars in hand. Will you take it? So <laughs> manifest that. Well, my book, I've, I've self-published my last three books and I have no profits from them, just so you know. But you know, the other thing you might consider is maybe wrapping that profit right back into your own school district. Maybe it's the discretionary fund for the treats for faculty, for drills and things like that, that, you know, it benefits your community. You did all that work. Uh, Let it benefit the community where your children are going to go through the school system. Mm, Yeah, that's a good idea. And I would also say you might not make a financial profit, but honestly, the profit to humanity, and that's what keeps us going on this podcast because, you know, the last couple of months is people reaching out like yourself and like this really principal helped. that's coming on. You know, yeah. that's what you're going to be doing, and that's the impact. You're giving people a framework to ripple out to their communities, and you really can't put a dollar on that. You can't. And, you know, you say, oh, I'm sad I have to do this book. You know, one thing to consider also just like with anonymous reporting systems, you want to have all these different ways for people to give information. Doing a book that parents can use is giving them an opportunity to get information. They may work. I was a single mom raising two kids. I never got to parent teacher meetings. Uh, I got parent teacher meetings, but I never got to like PTO meetings. I never yeah. got to other things. You're giving them something they can do in the privacy of their own home, ingest it in the way they want and learn something. And that's another avenue that is is so important. Yeah. I just think it's incredible what you've done, Emily. And you know what? I hope there's somebody listening out there right 
now that in a month's time sends us an email and says, Emily's story has made me go to my school district and put it into place. And you might never hear that story, but know out there that your little, you know, butterfly wings are flapping and and creating that ripple effect out. So well done you. I mean, incredible. That's fantastic. I mean, I think you have to take away the impact you've had. I think it must be an incredibly proud filled moment to roll your school district website open and see that button at the top that says, yeah. here's the anonymous reporting system that we have now and know that you made that happen. Yeah, it does. It does feel like that. It, I feel very happy and grateful that they were responsive. And similarly, I'm super grateful you guys let me come on this podcast. If for nothing else, I have felt just a desire to tell you guys what has come of your work on your podcast. Because, you know, I often hear you say, you should ask these questions or this system played a role in this situation. And I've wondered if you guys get voices back saying, hey, I heard you and I internalized it and I worked on it and this was the result. And so I'm grateful for an opportunity to tell you guys that your podcast has had a big rippling effect in my community. And I'm super thankful. Amazing. Well, thank you for sharing that. If you were going to speak to somebody out there in the community right now, what would be your piece of advice? It would be to not give in to imposter syndrome. It's okay that you are not an expert. It's okay that you don't have a degree in this. Oftentimes on this podcast, we hear amazing experts and you have listened to that information. And so you can go and share it with your district. I think that would be my biggest advice is believe in the difference you can make, especially if you approach people with kindness and respect. Thanks for listening. And if you want to know more, Catherine's book, Stop the Killing, is out now. For more details, go to katherineschweit.com. Please consider also supporting our independently made podcast. It's simple to do. Go to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing. And for as little as the price of a latte a month, you can be part of the solution to stop the killing. Patreon rewards range from official do-gooder status to ad-free episodes, autographed books, and opportunities to connect with us directly for your business, school, church, or even just a book club chat. But just knowing that you are part of a movement that has the power to make your community safer, well, that's got to taste better than a skinny cappuccino any day. So please head to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing now and polish off your do-gooder halo and make sure to include your name so we can give you a shout out. This podcast is a community podcast production. That's con with an N. If you want more content, then head over to community podcast at Instagram, where you'll find trailers on more binge-worthy true crime, like the award-winning podcast Conning the Con. And check out our show notes for all the links mentioned. Finally, if you want one takeaway action that you can do right now that can help make our community safer, Please share, rate and review this podcast wherever you listen. Everybody needs to know that they hold the keys to see something and say something. Together, we can stop the killing. It's one of those things you hope never happens, but you better train for it. Because it will happen. And it will happen in places you wouldn't expect. Be ready for it. 
Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport... Then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality. That's how a scam begins, convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a con artist. The Scams and Cons podcast tells you how scams are run. You'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art, buy machines that print money, or steal your house. I get a phone call from my wife, and she let me know that they had decided to move all our stuff out I can no longer do anything about it except go through an eviction. And you'll hear it from the experts, people who run the cons. So we go to your bank, you go in and get 6000 cash, give us each 3000 we give you this. Uh-huh. You go home and what you find out is cut up newspaper. It's fun to know how the trick is done, and that's what Scams and Cons is all about. Listen at scamsandcons.com or wherever fine podcasts are found.